0: Well, here we are again. Welcome to Episode 2 of Book Pints. This time around, I hang out with my friend Sam and we chat about The Martian by Andy Weir while enjoying some delicious monkey-shoulder scotch. If you haven't read The Martian, there will be spoilers, and there is a link at bookpints.com where you can pick up the book and help out the podcast. The Martian tells the story of astronaut Mark Watney, who is part of the 3rd manned mission to Mars. After only a few days on Mars, a giant dust storm threatens the mission and they decide to head home. During their attempt to get to the launch craft, Watney is struck by flying debris and the remaining crew, assuming he's dead, are forced to leave without him. It turns out his injury was minor, but he is stranded on Mars with no way home. He spends the next 18 months sciencing the hell out of a myriad of increasingly desperate situations to keep himself alive and find a way back to Earth. That should get you up to speed enough to follow along. That is until we start mangling spot quotes and wondering how Siri would work on Mars. Links to the book, the whiskey, and whatever else you might need should be in the description and at bookpints.com. Don't forget to subscribe. So pour yourself a drink, sit back, and consume. If it were your birthday, this is, this is what it would be for monkey you. Shoulder. Small batch, smooth and rich.
1: This, I like the little monkeys on here there. Yeah. Nice. Here, get closer. <laughs> First the scotch to the Then the advances Yes yeah, Smooth the, operator The advances
0: man. start right away A little few A wee bit for me Who We got monkey shoulder Monkey shoulder Where do we know this from? Well, I was just at the liquor store <laughs> <coughs> And this is a uh, <coughs> That's, boy I don't know what that's all about. You apparently like it. It's delicious. Yeah. This just looked interesting. Apparently monkey shoulder, because this is a uh, hand-mixed scotch. Mm-hmm. Monkey shoulder is like tennis elbow, but for your shoulder. So <laughs> these guys are up there, old-timey, <laughs> mixing their their thing and so that's what it's called monkey shoulder. They named it after a common complaint at the yes. office. Yeah. An OSHA complaint <laughs> is what they named it. after. So we're drinking OSHA complaint whiskey. Oh, uh, that's funny. Whatever, so or there's whatever a little the safety
1: the, and hazard uh, going on it's with built the in. scotch. It's, it's built in. Ties in with the theme exactly. of, uh, of the book today. I,
0: I didn't have it I didn't have it tying into the theme of the book, which the book is The Martian. The Martian. Plenty of health and safety. Which you assure me that you've actually read. Which oh, I'm gonna believe you on it this. was
1: it was some some time ago i've been uh, I've been watching the previews for the movie to get ready yes. for today's
0: talk I am quite <laughs> I'm excited about the movie
1: I think it's gonna be amazing
0: yeah because one of my big worries was that they were gonna take the actual science out of it mm-hmm. but it seems like they're leaving it in you can't take the science out of it no, right? that's the, the whole the book story is the science is, is how right to, yeah
1: I mean, there'll probably be slightly less math, but the science itself will exist. Like, they're not gonna sit down and and run through the numbers, I don't imagine. I think there's kind of interesting the, uh, from a couple people, and myself included, like, they show, they cut to that scene where they're in the habitat. Yeah. And, like, everyone is just like, it is just how I pictured it in my mind.
0: Right, that's. (laughs) I said I said the same thing when I saw that I was like, how are they going to build a set that's completely covered in dirt? Mm-hmm. And just so if anybody's listening and they don't figure it out yet, there's probably going to be spoilers, and we're probably going to curse because how could you not curse with the book? Well, Chase, I guess we don't have to curse. I'm I'm gonna I'm a, I'm a curse. Okay, yeah. you're gonna curse. Yeah, spoilers and curses abound. So how are they going to set it up so that half the movie takes place in a basically hollowed out tent that's got dirt all over the floor? Um, yeah. And it looks like they did that with his workshop, his work table. They made this, the screens bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, A little exactly. bit more futuristic looking than I would have expected, but... It's still... Um, otherwise, it's uh, spot on. It's it just, spot on.
1: It seems like everything is going to be pretty pretty true to the book, which is also yeah, exciting. Yeah, and
0: the sense of humor. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I really liked about the book... Is just how crass and just exactly that. How
1: engineer this guy was. Yeah, how how very much he reminded me of every
0: (laughs) stupid engineer with his bad jokes. Occasionally one of them hits, but he's got like a 10% hit rate. He won't stop. (laughs) He won't, but he won't stop. He's just like, I I just got to get a good sample size and eventually there'll be something funny in there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like a dad on a car ride.
0: Yeah. But I found that compelling because it made him into a character that was that sort of person, and you can imagine him in the bar. Mm-hmm. He's not the guy that's cracking everybody up all the time, Yeah, but he's always the one smiling at his own joke. <laughs> it's sort of infectious. I feel like I know that guy intimately. <laughs> I feel like I often am that guy, right? So, so the crassness. Mm-hmm. We love that. The other thing that I liked is we get the sort of sanitized version of his log. It's still open and honest and all this kind of stuff, but there's a lot of things that are left unsaid. I feel like there's
1: the there was that transition, though, from there was a point where he was absolutely kind of perplexed as to how he'd be able yes. to, to make things extend. And during that period of time, he was a little more open and honest and wasn't self-editing quite so much. Right. So it was also nice to see as he became more confident that things became both a little more professional but also seemed to have a lot more truth to it. Like it was a lot more heartfelt it, sentiment kind of thing rather yeah, I, than
0: railing against the world. And I think it would or, go, yeah, he wasn't railing against Mars. Yeah. It was That was sort of the running joke that Mars was trying to kill him. But he didn't – there wasn't an <coughs> enemy right, in this sense. It was survival, which is these kind of stories are man against nature. And so nature isn't an enemy. Nature is the environment. Mm-hmm. And you're just trying to survive in it. So you're not fighting the villain Mars – you're living in that environment, and that environment is difficult, right? Right, exactly. Just trying to kill you. So I really like that, and I think you're you're right that there were points where he got professional. Mm-hmm. You know, he sounded like an astronaut, and then there were other points where he sounded like a dude trapped in a tent on yeah. Mars, <laughs>
1: exactly. right?
0: Which I thought was uh, a great. Com- I mean, the way that he went back and forth was really it was compelling. I it just felt honest. Yeah. Um, There's a lot about this book that just feels honest. I found myself, much to my surprise, when they find out that he's still on Mars, Mm. it got me emotionally. (laughs) Like I was like a little of a clunk. There were a number of those moments where I felt it emotionally. And I've read the book twice and even the second time around, Mm -hmm. even though I know what's going to happen. You're sort of lulled into a mode with him. Mm -hmm. So you're just kind of with him. Nothing spectacular is happening with him but you're feeling his dread or his worry or his sadness or whatever. And then often it would cut to them doing the extraordinary thing of finding him. right? And it's that was like the intensely personal with the huge grand part of the story. Right. And Which I,
1: is, is kind of nice. He had no impact. He had no ability to influence that whole side of the story yeah. either. So like that whole aspect of him trying to survive nature and then also to survive humanity – yeah. <laughs> I like that. Which, is, you know, is that. almost kind of what he
0: was al- was also uh, a stake that he was he was uh, put up yeah. against. And he, I think rightly, if you're in a situation like that, he assumed that they were going to do nothing mm-hmm. out of the ordinary or extraordinary to come get him. Right. And he wouldn't want them to. He wouldn't want them to put six lives in danger exactly. as opposed to just one. Mm-hmm. So he operated on the assumption that they're going to do the best plan. They operated under the assumption that he was going to do the best. And it was that tension yeah. was actually very interesting because like when the, when he could finally talk to NASA and they keep telling him to do things in a very slow, methodical way. And he's like, so I took it <laughs> apart and fixed it <laughs> when they
1: told me not to.
0: Uh, I love that. That tension was really good because I think that's a, that's a really natural thing is that he being a professional astronaut is going to assume they're going to do the professional thing. Right. And exactly. He, I mean, but they, they did the extraordinary thing.
1: It's nice also. It shows just how his ego is constructed as well, right? That he is practical, right? Yeah. It, it plays into the whole engineer aspect of things. He's just a practical guy. He yeah. knows that his. I'm not going to quote Spock, but, uh. You can quote <laughs> Spock. It's okay. Well, I always mangle the quote. That was. What is it? I want to hear the Megan uh, quote. That's the, the the needs of the many out few those of the one or the something like <laughs> the few or the one. <laughs> so, you, get, you get a slow clap. For uh, that yeah, I was trying to, <laughs> try to dodge that.
0: Um, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or needs of the one. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's that quote. Doesn't matter. We're getting off.
1: Track. That's way okay. off track. I mean, we are but, still talking about aliens, though. We
0: are talking. Well, there weren't any aliens. Well, he was a Martian. He was a Martian, but he wasn't the only he Martian. He was a- Well, I guess he was. Was he nationalized? I don't know. Did he have his passport? <laughs> was it stamped at customs? I think Martian if you spend customs. if
1: you spend over a year on on the soil, I think you know you don't have to file taxes Is that was at home. Yeah, yeah, something like that.
0: Well, he spent what was it? Eighteen months, roughly. Yeah, too damn long. God, that's just. Have you ever read *Endurance*, the story of Shackleton? When I they go, not. I don't know. It's a fantastic exploration survival story, right? Yeah. So uh, is that the icebreaker? Uh, well, they're just, just the explorers, Arctic? Shackleton, oh, okay. and yeah, it's an icebreaker. But it's we're talking in this, uh, the 19th century. Yeah. They get stuck in the ice, and <clears throat> Shackleton and I think four other guys or three other guys get in this tiny boat, and they first pull it across the ice, and then they get to the water, and then they go to try to get help. And the crew back there has to stay there. And they're there for an ungodly long time. Right. But we're talking months. We're not mm-hmm. talking years. And they all survive. Everyone survived. And it was a heroic thing both for these guys to survive in this environment and for this crew to go there. The thing about his sense of humor, you have no option but to make fun of the situation. You can't take that situation seriously or you will just be overwhelmed. You have to make light of it That's, some way. There's the fact that, you know, ultimately it
1: isn't too dissimilar from how we live our real lives every day. We have trials, tribulations, struggles. Nothing's really on our side coaching us through day-to-day life. What about Siri on my Apple? Doesn't Siri help me out? Oh, I just got the SoundHound thing. Oh, yeah? Uh, from SoundCloud. I have not used it yet. Okay. So that would be my Siri, I guess. That's your I haven't, I, but I haven't I uh, developed a
0: relationship. They're not the same thing. What if he had Siri on Mars? He would have saved a lot of time doing math. True. I guess. I imagine he was using a computer for the math, mm. for a lot of the math.
1: The, oh, I mean, it would make more sense to not use the energy booting up the computer if you didn't need to.
0: I, but energy was never his. Oh, problem, that was right? only after
1: he was in the, the mobile yeah. units, and those are built to run on and, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and you need those because they solar pal- I want to see. That, that, I can't wait to see that in the film, the, the solar panel construction, oh, like that the has got mobile, when he's got it stacked on uh, there,
0: his whole mobile yeah. campsite. So this is a good topic. Did you find the science impenetrable? I mean, you're a smart guy. You, you understand to a certain extent, a lot of this, but obviously you're not an astronaut or a botanist or a mechanical engineer, electrical engineer. Right. So did you find it approachable and understandable? So, as a,
1: as a long-time reader of hard science fiction, I have uh, learned never to really dig into the math. And <laughs> <laughs> take a lot of things on faith. Wise. Most often, it just is a little too far beyond my can. But the...
0: Uh, or, it, or in a lot of science fiction, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make if sense. If you dig it. into it, you pop the bubble of illusion. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas with this, I think if you dig into it, you're not going to
1: it seems so practical like the the math itself ultimately or you know seemed to be relatively simple right it was yeah. all about calories yields um just some very basic functions you know after you mm-hmm. understand i did think it was really bizarre that he was he did have an agricultural background and uh like his his dual roles seemed, um, seemed a little yeah. mismatched uh like where do you where do you find that guy
0: I don't know. What did you study in college?
1: Uh, I Okay, so I, <laughs> I do have a marketing degree and all my electives were theater. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so okay. Uh, maybe point yeah. taken. But it is just like, oh, you know, from the author's point of view, he's like, what talents do I need this man to possess in order to survive?
0: Well, I think he, um, but he, the botany one was crucial, right?
1: There needed to be a botanist, right? Yeah. That was... Kind of the whole point or yeah. one of the main points is to explore the planet from that
0: perspective. The guy that's probably going to survive is the botanist because he's the one that is going to grow food because, right. as you said, they need the calories. But the the, the, so, the science overall you found was accessible and worthwhile. Yeah, I,
1: it was really engrossing as well, which is also, I yeah. thought surprising just to try and, 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 and think – you know, put yourself in his perspective, like what does he need to be considering, uh, in order to, to last, no, not necessarily indefinitely, but you know, for that period of time where he thought
0: it would take for the next mission to land or the habitat to land. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's the, the, the thing that came clear to me when I was reading it is how much food you actually consume as a human <laughs> over the course of a year. Like we, everybody, all the crunchy granola folk want to think that they can plant a garden in their backyard or mm-hmm. on their roof garden in an apartment in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and they could grow all the food that they would need for a year. Like that roof patch will get you through a week. Maybe at most, he has all the supplies and all this kind of stuff and it won't last him long enough mm-hmm. for anyone to even approach getting, making a trip to Mars. And so he has to do this extraordinary thing. And even that is not enough. It was a nice like object lesson in how much a human consumes over the course of a year. I mean, every time I finally get around to taking out my trash, I'm similarly amazed. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like how did, how did this accumulate We're so fast? Yes.
0: <laughs> and every time I go to the grocery store, and I'm like, I feel like I was just here a week ago and I spent a lot of money. I don't feel like I ate that much. Uh, but um, yeah, it takes going to Mars to really get a solid <laughs> grasp <laughs> So that's what we need for get the whole world behind the green movement is to get them all to go to Mars. Yeah, teach those
1: teenagers a lesson in in self dependence. That's right.
0: uh, It'll be like uh, a semester at sea, but Mars semester (laughs) at sea.
1: (laughs) What else? There was. um, I have so many thoughts on this. The the radiation that I had no kind of tether to. Right. What specific? I didn't quite didn't understand, understand it. Two-ish. They had
0: that core that he
1: had to go fetch. Oh the yeah, the um, RTG. Yeah, and then had that um as part of his vessel to help power his vessel out to the um the rendezvous point. I didn't under- I don't know enough about radiation to get an understanding of where the risks actually lay. I mean they he talked about yeah. if it does become unstable that it would
0: yeah. Well they they attempted to explain it in the novel, right? Yeah. Or he attempted attempted to explain it <clears throat> that if the casing breaks then he's in trouble. Mhm. But if the casing doesn't break, he's fine. So with but, but something like that where you don't have enough of your own knowledge to get on, again that's why just it's taking,
1: taking it by faith kind of. Well, and I find
0: it it's interesting because there's a lot of as an avid science fiction reader myself, there's a lot of books that just do the hand-wavy sort of it's magic. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like one of my so, favorite. Uh, uh, Arthur you, C. Clarke. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Well, <laughs> he's better than most, I would say.
1: No, I, I thought you were going to quote him. Uh, oh, that uh, to yeah.
0: any um, ah. suitably advanced technology, <laughs> it the will only appear as magic? Can't quote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the culture novels, which is your fault because oh, you're you, welcome. you introduced them to me. And for the most part, he does a lot of good explaining that, but he also leaves a lot to the imagination. Mm -hmm. But there are points where he gets to the, I've got to have a MacGuffin here. And we're just going to call it culture technology. Culture tech, yeah. And I think one of the nice things about this book is it did not use that MacGuffin sort of thing ever. Right. Every time he came up to a problem, he had to find, like his constraint was, I must find a real world believable solution Mm -hmm. and then implement it. Now it's, I can't go out and test it and it's not going to be – you know, when we actually go to Mars, they might find out that some of it was not quite exactly (laughs) on the money. But he did – I like that idea of the constraint of I'm going to give myself this constraint and it just makes the narrative more interesting. Because one of the – the other thing that I really liked, this is along the same lines, is that it wasn't a bunch of natural disasters. There was a storm. Sure. That – a
1: catalyst that put us right. into a story. Right? Exactly.
0: He actually had a quite pleasant day on Mars, but living on Mars is super, super hard. And so it's just those normal day to day things mm-hmm. are what made it so difficult. Like my, one of my favorite things is when he sets the drill down against the table oh, and it shorts everything. Yeah. And I thought, that's brilliant. That is so very much what would happen. Yeah. Cause it's not a meteor you falling on think your head about it. It's, and it made it so that he had to take some kind of ownership of the, the place that he was in now in this in this certain sense, but he's also so far removed from the real world. You're you're operating at the edge of human existence, right? And so a minor mistake like that, which on Earth would necessitate a drive to Home Depot, right? Right, <laughs> means cataclysmic, <laughs> cataclysmic, right? You still have some whiskey left, but I, oh, I have none. When did that happen?
1: I didn't even see you drink that. Well done, Scott.
0: I mean, that's what it's there for, right? Uh, would you care for some more Monkey Shoulder? I suppose. What do you think of it?
1: I like it. It's uh, it's really it's quite sweet. Sweet, yeah. It's smooth. It doesn't it doesn't really yeah. you know for Scotch
0: it's not um, it's not really smoky. No, um, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't have even even come close to. It doesn't like really a, even
1: smell like it's it's, it's it, you know it actually feels a lot more
0: like. A, like
1: a bourbon, than it does a scotch.
0: Right. I was just gonna say it doesn't come close to something really harsh like a like a Glenfiddich or something like that, which right. is your iconic. But it's a blend, so it's not gonna be that super tight scotch taste. Since it it's not your birthday, but close to your birthday, mm-hmm. it's sweet. So it was like it was like cake whiskey. <laughs> like I want to put a <laughs> I want to put a candle in it and light it. Have you make a wish? Please tell me you didn't bring candy. And why did you just you just pick it up and look at the bottle without giving me any whiskey? <laughs> yeah, I figured maybe What a terrible person you
1: are Um. Yeah, I was going to be a little bit of a jerk I can be a little prima donna on my, my not-birthday
0: <laughs> Well, I think pretty much every day is my not-birthday You're so. kind of a prima donna Yes, yeah, so, absolutely right Thank you, Is this delicious So you like the, okay, good, did well with the whiskey Hmm. Anyway, let's get back to the book Yeah? <laughs> yeah this is going to be one hell of an editing job, <laughs> let me just tell you. <laughs> which I kind of knew having had a conversation with you. Yes. I just knew this is going to be I don't um this I like, don't really flow linearly. Linear, neither line, do I, which linearly. is fine. It's just um, going to take me a while because otherwise we'll drive people crazy.
1: So, what do you do you think uh what was what's the better story? The Martian or Apollo 11? Or Apollo 11, Apollo 13. Apollo 13. Apollo 11 is a
0: terrible story. No, no, Apollo 11 is, a, is, wonderful, a, is beautiful. a wonderful story. It's got its own interesting yeah. twists and turns, but Apollo 13 is probably the one you're thinking of. That's the one I'm thinking of. The one where Tom Hanks goes to the moon. The Tom, Tom Hanks moon voyage. Yeah, is that's the one. shorthand in Tom my Hanks. mind.
1: Okay. You know, similar kind of plight, different level of connectivity to to humanity, you know, to... Yeah. To where you, you, you're a your destination,
0: your, not your destination, your embarkment point. To a certain extent, he had far more resources than they did on Apollo 13. Exactly. Okay. This is sort of an aside and I guess sort of related to the Martian, but I've always thought the Apollo 13, first of all, that it's a true story, that all this stuff actually happened. Mm -hmm. When you really dig into the details of what went wrong and how many weird little things, little coincidences had to happen Mm -hmm. to make that thing go wrong and also for them to make it back alive, Mm -hmm. it's just a phenomenal story. And it just tells you how smart people can be. And how professional these people that we send to do this amazing thing are. Mm-hmm. Because they could have flipped out on each other. Right. And they, you know, the movie dramatized it a bit. The actual accounts say that they were by all measures. Another that, day at the
1: office, you know, solve this problem. Yeah. Or, you know, that's that's really all there yep. is to be done is to solve the problem. Well, I think it's it's also tethered to the point about the drill, right? This one little thing yeah. that you, you don't really, maybe, you know, some small thing that you're not really thinking of can go wrong. It just changes. I mean, from yeah. that point on, there's a there's a sharp right turn. Yeah. And you need to improvise. Well, and, and I and... think,
0: if I remember correctly, I think I'm getting this right. The Apollo 13, the the little things that stir the, the, the tanks. The air filters or whatever. The, yeah. The, the, they stir the oxygen tanks. Yeah. Something about the way that they pressurized the thing and the way that they were testing it. Mm-hmm. They had the initial one that they were building failed. They redesigned it, rebuilt it, put it in there and test it, but they didn't test it at a certain extreme condition. Mm -hmm. And then when they did test it at the certain extreme condition, Ed had already broken on the first (laughs) test at this point. Mm -hmm. So the design was built in there to fail, Mm -hmm. but it was all because of sort of the order of the testing and all this kind of stuff, all these all these seemingly unrelated steps. Mm -hmm. And that was the drill for him. Right. It was... The drill never – it never would have happened if he had been able to use a drill that just could do more than three holes. Right. right. So he had to hook up a power. So he had to get a power from somewhere and hook up there. He also – because he had to get into the the, the rover, mm-hmm. he had to take the cowling off. The cowling is the right. to thing. To right? ground it. Yeah. Exactly. Right, essentially. If it didn't overheat because he had, you know, mm-hmm. had to modify it to run higher, if it didn't overheat, he wouldn't have had to sit, set it down to rest it. And if he hadn't had to get the Pathfinder and built a a thing and had that table, had the table <laughs> built, he wouldn't have had a table to lean it on. He would have just put it <laughs> on the floor. So, all these things, and how could you possibly keep track of all of them? Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's,
1: you take so much for granted. Yeah, uh, that things will just kind of work where you can. You can solve. It's not a big issue if something kind of goes <laughs> wrong. And it's such so much of your everyday life.
0: It's, well, well to sometimes be, to there be are mindful others.
1: of of things like yeah. that, like it's not first hand nature to really to really have that level of attention to detail and, and concern of every
0: minute kind of uh, possible and to a certain extent all those details every one of them is important mm-hmm. but we are built to focus on the big thing right right so we focus on the big thing in front of us we forget a lot of the little things i love those those little detail things that just cascade and they seem unconnected but they drive drive the whole story so, I have this question for you, okay. Did you find it unreal that he would be that sort of laid back and funny? I don't know
1: that he was necessarily laid back, and I think that that that's exhibited in how he was able to to pay attention to those to those details in um you know uh starting the first agricultural program on Mars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the first greenhouse. The uh the first greenhouse, you know, the his his plan for his overall plan for escape uh, or retrieval. Mm-hmm. Just the level of thought and everything everything that went through his, you know, to get from the the, the, the cop the beginning of the conflict to its resolution just shows that he was so it's an all consuming thing right yeah this, this this struggle that he's going in uh to your earlier point from uh the beginning of of this conversation we're only interfacing interfacing with him through his logs primarily. Yeah. Until he starts communicating with Earth and even then he's got us there's a lot of self editing (laughs) going on. Not Uh. a lot. (laughs) Look (laughs) boobs. I love that. Or I mean like his frustrations. Yeah. He wasn't really, you know, commute, you know, because they weren't productive,
0: right? Um, Oh right. His frustration with them because he is I'm out here trying to survive Mm -hmm. and you're walking me through this like I've never like, come on! I just need to take it apart. He yeah. doesn't have
1: time or energy for
0: the protocol, right? But right. You, I what or I patience I, right, or the patience. <laughs> what I found really nice, though, really was his sort of determined nature because he builds. He has this idea for the rover mm-hmm. to go to the the Ares Four site, right? And he tests it four times. Yes, right. right. So it's not like I think a normal adventure story like this. The guy would come up with it, build it, and, and then go. just like a brash go. buccaneer? Yeah, he'd just go. Yeah. Right? But what he did was test it, and it, the testing was its own excitement, and he was able to do that. And that's exactly how an engineer would function, right? Of course. They're not going to... I'm not going to go get in the rover and do something that's not built for without testing it out in some way, right? He also had the luxury of time. Yeah. That
1: would allow him to to be able to run those, those tests and, and have that confirmation. Like, there was, I think, one of the nice things... About this story is that there wasn't really a pressure from 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 time. Yeah, I mean there was and there wasn't. I mean the the length of time rather than the the any sort of uh,
0: fast approaching. I found it interesting the the complication of both of those. He had plenty of time to build and test these systems or or do whatever he needed to do. But once he did them, he had a finite amount of resources, so he only had that's true. Yeah. He had to get. From point A to point B in his whatever fifty or so days, mm-hmm. which someone put a map on the on the web okay. of his journey over an actual map of Mars. Yeah, and it's phenomenal. It's like two thousand miles that the guy goes. Jesus. And when he talks about the valley that was just happened to be in the, the yeah. right place, and you see it, and you go. No shit, because if it, if if it wasn't there, it's a line of basically mountains. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's not going. So wait, oh, so his, the route that he took was is factually accurate. Like, yeah, it exists. It exists, and the actual route that he took goes through a valley, mm-hmm. goes through this nice long open plain, where then a storm makes him go south. Right, you can see it all online, mm-hmm. so it's it's pretty phenomenal that. The author was, is going to go to that and then make that a constraint and, and say – Put is, that on the map and, yeah. and just uh, tailor the setting to – Yeah. This is the geography that he would have to work with, so I as a storyteller have to work with that. Interesting. And I, I did find that I, – I found that refreshing because I, I – again, reading so much science fiction, they build the world to support their story – Instead of building a world and then having to have their story react to it, a lot of times, right. there are some authors that do this exceptionally well. Yeah. As, as a long-time
1: reader fantasy as well, uh, I'm which s- I'm far more...
0: They're yeah, far you're more... <laughs> this might be my problem with reading a lot of fantasy <laughs> because I'm not a big fan of magic fixes everything. Right? Yeah, exactly. And then when they make rules about magic mm-hmm. that just crop up halfway through and all of a sudden it's like, well, before he could levitate, but now he can't because he's in a you know, a smoky room, and so he can't levitate when it's yeah, yeah when it's dark out or something. Whatever well, you, it is. you've got, yeah.
1: you're, you're forgetting about the effects um, of the third moon. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, whenever it's on the the eastern horizon, we're gonna have to... Ah, so, um, but yeah, to that point, yeah, exactly. So the rules, rule building, I'm far more, let's say, relaxed. Okay, about. The magic or the world bending to the magic rather than the magic having been to the world. Okay. Like you would have the science. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: and and to a certain extent, <laughs> to Arthur C. Clarke's point, for a lot of science fiction readers, the magic and the science are, they function roughly the same mm-hmm. in the book. Right? right. Because the science allows him to do things that we don't necessarily understand, but then they can happen. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of tool set that the magic uses in a fantasy novel. <clears throat> The science is used here. Because he's an expert wielder of science, he's able to right. do things that a normal person would not be able to do. Right. He's, he's studied at
1: the tower. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a white mage, level seven, or whatever <laughs> he needs to be.
0: Yeah. Just from a storytelling standpoint, it's functionally a similar sort of right. storytelling tool. Exactly. At least I think so.
1: I I would agree to that.
0: Yeah. So we can uh, call Mark Watney a level seven Science mage. I, uh, I
1: don't know. No, no, no. I I haven't. Uh, I, I'd have to take out the dungeon manual. Got yeah, uh, <laughs> to get the dungeon manual out.
0: And you use 4E instead of 4 I'm a. I'm still rocking 2.5. Oh, uh, you're still one of those, Yeah, yeah. One oh. of those guys. Okay, here's another question that I had about this. Does Mark Watney have a wife or a kid or girlfriend or anything? He never talks about that. I
1: thought we knew that he does not. Wasn't he flirtatious with someone on the ship?
0: Well, he was telling one of them to, to go get to go the get the girl, which he. I thought he hated. was keen on the captain. Am I making that? I don't that think up? so. I don't think it sounds like he was always Mister Friend Zone with everybody, and so he.
1: I thought, I don't know. That could I could be
0: wrong. I'm sure they'll change it in the movie, anyways.
1: He's yeah. got to have a romantic interest. Does for,
0: he? Th- well, that's my question. For cinema, right? Does he have to have a, a love interest? Because even if he had some kind of emotion mm-hmm. for one of the crew members. It did not play a part in the story. Correct. It, it did not affect. I think
1: it may have been mentioned, but it wasn't. Like everyone on the ship had a deep, you know, love for him—a uh, platonic love, most likely—and mm-hmm. uh, so having a
0: romantic interest wouldn't have swayed any
1: decisions
0: one way or the other. Exactly, and that's un- that's abnormal, I think, in one of these in a narrative like this. But because- it's
1: so it's so true to how it would. Exists. real life in real life. Right. You're not. No. It's not like a summer camp up in a spaceship where everybody's kind of touching each other and stuff. But uh, also, or is it? I don't know. We don't see those videos. I've,
0: I've never been to summer camp on the moon.
1: <laughs> I'd like to go. <laughs> I'll go.
0: But we don't get the journal of him pining for his family or anything like that because obviously he has family. He has parents and things like that that that, that are discussed. But we don't get the journal of him going. All I want to do is see my blah, 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 blah. He makes an offhand comment at the end of that, or at some point, an offhand comment that they're going to go get a pizza somewhere. Yeah. You know, those kind of nice little sort of things, but it isn't a big emotional driver for the story. Do you think uh, the
1: cinematic release will have the, I can't remember her name, the woman who was... Satellite who was, Watcher? The Satellite Watcher?
0: Develop a crush Develop, on music? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but they've got, uh, what's his name, from Community? Glover? Donald, oh, Glover. Yeah. Donald Glover. Donald Glover is going to be the steely-eyed missile man who comes up with the cool. The, loop? Tr- the yeah. The, oh really?
1: Yeah. Oh, I thought he was on the ship.
0: No, on the ship, it's there's a German guy, there's the hacker, computer hacker, there's the pilot, uh-huh. and then there's the doctor, and then the captain, and right. then Watney, and then Watney. Okay. Yeah. So, as as I so thought Glover was, was on the. No, Doesn't, he's the guy on the ground that comes up with the – and I think he's probably going to have a bigger role in the movie than he did in the book. He had a pretty big role in the book. Just, but. Yeah, not too many pages yeah. necessarily, but definitely a big role. Yeah, definitely an important thing. Yeah. But I just thought that it was really nice to not have that soap opera aspect mm-hmm. kind of crammed in there just because I didn't think it would be – it would take up, it would take air out of the story it would take up too much oxygen that it, that is he's giving over to the actual sort of action adventure that drives the story forward. Well, I certainly feel that that would be the case in something like, like a cinematic
1: representation of it because mm-hmm. you only have so much time. But with a novel you can you can just keep writing, right? And then but, but maybe an stop organic at some point. There right? may be an organic and, and compelling way to, to put that into the story. But this is a story so much about I mean it, it's definitely about a different set of emotions predominantly right? Um, right survival not that that's an emotion but it comes part and parcel with a whole slew of emotions right uh, it's a kind of a shorthand yeah. um, and then uh uh what was I where was I going with this I had a I had a yeah we
0: had a really great thought I, I, oh man you were man, it was good backed down. It's too bad there isn't a microphone here to catch. oh wait there it is <clears throat> one two three go uh good. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> this is good scotch. It is good scotch. Uh, yeah, I have... They, they opened a new liquor store right near me. And it's uh, one of those big ones where, you know, they have the walls of... of crummy. Oh. Yeah, all the big... You know, the big handles of... And they've got the... Yeah. You know, it's a bargain spot. And I was hoping they would have, like, a nice selection. And they had, like, one or two. So this was one of their, you know, oddities. But otherwise, it was all... I thought about just getting like really low end, like old granddad. Why would you? No, just to mess with you. You're <laughs> like, thanks, Scott.
1: I've I've got my own. That's okay. <laughs> sure. You enjoy that. You enjoy that old granddad. <laughs> but I think there's a way that some sort of connection to his his past and things that he's yearning for, um, you know, back home, could have worked well with the story. But, oh, this is the point I think I was trying to make earlier. The, the the lens through which most of this is viewed was so much about almost a sterile take on, on the engineering and the survival, and he didn't have time uh, or, you know, he didn't have spare energy to, to really waste on, on those kinds of thoughts.
0: And part of that, which I think is a strength of the novel, which is why I was able to read it in one sitting, basically. I think because of that sterile nature that he focused on this, the structure of it is that we're not getting a third-person view of watching all this. So we're not told the moments where he breaks down and cries. Right. We're told by him the moment that he did break down and cry. So he doesn't give it three pages mm-hmm. of description of Mark Watney yeah. breaking down and crying. Mark Watney just said, I broke down and cried. He's human. Yeah. And we can move on. And we can move on. <laughs> and, I think, and I think that's a powerful narrative form because he – he just tells us this is a thing that happened and there's a space for us to try to put ourselves in that position and say you're literally millions of miles away from anyone that can help you and you're a, you're completely alone in a way that no one else has ever been alone. And now you as the reader – think about that for a second. I don't have to describe it to you. I don't have to describe what's he, what he's doing, if he's doubled over. I don't have to describe that to you. I'm just going to let you th- think about it. Mm-hmm. Put yourself in the position of the commander. What would you have done? Would I have not turned the ship around? Do you mean both? Both questions. Would you have left him on the planet? Left him on the planet? Absolutely.
1: Okay. Right. That was. That's a. That's not even a, a question. Right. Yeah. That's your. That's basic. Your, your basic your training is yep. the protection of as you know everybody as much as possible. Yeah. To the point where you're not risking. Do you want everybody. to try the spot quote again? Nope. I'm trying to get around it. I, you can, see me. I can see you circling it. <laughs> then you get to that decision uh, when they're in space to turn around. Yeah. It's essentially the same decision. You're right. Right? It is It is the same decision. Do I risk the entire crew for the one man? The important thing is there's a lot more information. There's a lot more information. They've also had how many months of regret. Yeah. Right? That's That's weighing... Heavily in the decision process, so I don't think I don't think there would it was really a choice at that point. You know, they'd spent so much time. Like, if I could have taken this back, if I could have done something different. Oh wait, I can actually fix this. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's the decision that they're making. I can I fix this rather than should I be going back to save this guy?
0: I just I don't know that most people are as selfless as astronauts. I believe every astronaut would do that. Mm-hmm. Would make that decision, and I believe most. this is also this, most sane and rational people would probably make that decision, but not everybody's sane and rational. But you get into isn't there the like selfish, a fraternity? Just, I well, want to go
1: home. There's that fraternity thing that happens in tight knit groups like that, though, right? True. You've got your that's your your core. I know decision. The decision making process is definitely skewed around preservation of the group. So this happens countless times countless stories in the armed services and this is, situation is not dissimilar right they are all specifically trained mm-hmm. to understand their their social and professional roles mm-hmm. to support the group they understand the value so they you know they understand the intrinsic value of every member of the group on a practical level as well as a, an emotional level through having bonded over time Okay. Like to 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 abandon that person would have to be would mean that there was a social outlier in the group, right? Oh, okay. And that would be, I think,
0: that's something that you'd pick up on to a certain extent by Watney getting left. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have there's no social interaction there, right? You just got him there. Yeah. But by him getting left, that basically forced, even though they thought he was dead, mm-hmm. it forced everyone to sort of re-sign that contract. Mm -hmm. on the crew. And so when they get to that point where they now know he's alive and they have to choose to turn around or not, Mm -hmm. it's sort of like they just... Yeah, the initial one, yeah, one for all, all that kind of stuff. I'm an astronaut. It's going to be fine. But they signed a new one when he died because they now have sort of recommitted themselves to each other. So I think that would have bonded them even more. And you got that sense in them because like, when they're talking about when they're going to go to grab him Mm -hmm. and... Uh, he's at the airlock and he's telling the German guy, Mm -hmm. he's like, if I have to, I'm cutting loose. and I'm going to go get this. You cut me loose. And he's like, the captain said not to do it. And he looked at him and he's like, you do it. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And to a certain extent, it's like that sort of recommitment Mm -hmm. was even more powerful than just the initial duty and all that kind of stuff. So it didn't come across as sort of a pat.
1: Or Yeah. It wasn't wasn't, a... It wasn't a baseless decision making process. Like, yeah. they've lived through it. They knew firsthand now the significance of their
0: social contracts. Right. I think he did pull that off very well without too much, uh, Yeah. yeah. It was such a very, it was a very efficient book. There was so little, I mean, as, okay, so I was going to say there's so little exposition. The entire book is all exposition. exposition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it didn't, you know, didn't feel. But exposition done well. Yeah. Because exposition. Was, it was had, trim. Yeah. Is lean. I think a lot of times when people talk about books and novels, and especially science fiction, everybody gets their panties in a twist about exposition, mostly because it's usually done poorly. But it's essential to a good a good science fiction novel or a good novel. To storytelling, yeah, yeah. So doing that well and doing that for an entire book is pretty laudable. I think I'm impressed. Although, I mean, the, the alternative is to end up with some
1: some James Joyce bullshit that no one really enjoys reading. I do. Except you. Except
0: <laughs> me. Um, do you have anything more to say about the Martian? You know, I
1: until you had just mentioned it uh, with the cutting him loose to let him go rescue right. that, I had forgotten everything that happened after they got off the planet surface in the book. I'd, well, it was just the <laughs> last chapter was that. I'd forgotten that Catching whole... Them.
0: You know, the the climax. Right, of the, the whole climax of it. Uh-huh. Both times that I finish the book, mm-hmm. I'm like, I want one more chapter. Mm-hmm. I want one more chapter to tell me. And this is short, it's just completely unnecessary. If, as a writer, yeah, he should keep that out. But I just wanted to know. I wanted the wrap up. I wanted the epilogue of like him shaking the hands of the ground team. That like, Something like that. You know, buying everyone a beer. Something. Right. The parade. Yeah. That I want the parade. We know the parade's happening. The parade's definitely happening. So, okay, here's the big question that the Martian brings up. Do you think manned spaceflight is worth it? Should we do it? Because, look, this situation has happened and would happen where we would spend billions of dollars to rescue a single astronaut, but we won't spend a couple thousand dollars to provide... Food and flu shots and water for and... kids in Africa right or or malaria tents are our priorities so screwed up that we need to shelve manned space flight until we can get the what we 're doing here, right but how
1: else are we going to run into a scenario like Elysium where you and I are going to get to live in that
0: rarefied space colony? first of all, thank and... you for including me and in that we would probably end up but let's be honest we'd be the we'd be the assholes on the planet right.
1: Hey, man, dude, <laughs> is, I'm writing this story.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're writing it, but yeah, we're, we're not We're, we're not survived. getting invited to Elysium. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just not happening. Uh, uh, but do you take my point? Obviously, I have my opinion on it, which I'm sure you know.
1: Yeah, i say to, to the stars. Uh, to the stars? I don't know. I, I think there are a great many things that we spend money on that are less useful. Mm-hmm. Less useful to humanity at large than, than space travel and space exploration and the potential for uh, extraplanetary colonization, uh, including you know harvesting resources mm-hmm. from asteroids. Those those things I think will be incredibly valuable. Maybe who knows? Maybe they'll bring a richness to certain economies that'll allow budgets yeah. to open up for aid and, and welfare. One would help, uh, and unlikely. Maybe you know, Elon Musk. Who knows? Maybe that's his end game. I hope so. Like what as soon as he goes from, from batteries and, and affordable renew you know, I mean, just putting energy, you know, instantly instant access to energy into yeah. communities that have problems with food. You can start doing greenhouses and, and sheltered, you know, growing facilities and things like that with with easy access
0: to energy. And this is the other side of what we were talking about earlier about how all those small things go wrong mm-hmm. and create a disaster. All these little things that we think are unconnected. Like space flight and feeding children in, you know, impoverished nations mm-hmm. and third world countries and things like that. They are in a way connected because that sense of exploration that drive to achieve this thing that is easier to sell to an apathetic public mm-hmm. results in so much technology and so much understanding mm-hmm. that we can hopefully use that then in a productive way to uh, rising tide lifts all boats, right? So do we have anything else on either the whiskey or... I, the I mean, I have to
1: say, like like most whiskeys, I do enjoy this a lot more the more I drink of it. Yeah. And it started off at a good place, too, so that's not so bad. Right. That This is batch 27, whatever that
0: means. Smooth and rich. Do you think they have different flavors? I don't think so. I think that's just... I don't trust just, anything just on the label random, anymore.
1: Yeah. Inspired by the malt man's craft...
0: Malt
1: man. That sounds like a hill monster.
0: Do you think there's ever a kid <laughs> that grew up in the, the highlands of Scotland and, you know, son, what do you want to grow up to be? I want to be a malt man. Oh, man, I want that monkey shoulder.